You've only got to look at him to see he's not capable of it. I thought you said you didn't have any mugs. So, here I am. I'm that in the car. Benefit. Where did the nickname come from? I'm listening to myself on, uh, on audiobook because today I am driving down to Somerset, to uh, the Sedgemoor Inn in Western Zoyland, to meet up with Damien Boyd, the best-selling author of the D.I. Nick Dixon series of novels. And I'm very excited because he's going to take me out onto the Sedgemoor battlefield. We're going out to the uh, War Memorial. Uh, and that whole area is where a lot of his novels are set. And uh, the one that I'm listening to at the moment is one I recorded uh, two years ago, I think, called Down Among the Dead. And, uh, and it's terrific. Um, I mean, I'm not just saying that because I'm doing it. I mean, it's a great story. Um, so according to my sat-nav, I've got another 47 minutes to go. So I'm going to get back to my audiobook, and uh, we'll uh, we'll meet up with with Damien when uh, when I get there. Welcome to Talking Books. I'm Simon Mattox, and I read out loud for a living. Yes, I'm an audiobook narrator, and in this series of podcasts, I get together with an author whose book or books I've recorded, and we talk about writing, recording, and all things talking books. Look at that ceiling. That is wow. just mesmeric. It's one of the most beautiful church ceilings in an ordinary parish church that it's, you will see. It's stunning, isn't it? It's absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful. And that was original, of course, and the floor. So when all those Somerset lads were dying the night after the battle, they were all imprisoned here. A couple managed to escape through that door, but the rest all were imprisoned here wow. overnight, and they died dying pools of blood. What's the name of this church? This is so, Western Zoyland Parish Church, and uh, I'm not sure what saint it okay. is, actually. Okay, so I have arrived. I'm here with best-selling author Damien Boyd, who's very kindly <laughs> agreed to, uh, to chat to me. St Mary's, it's St Mary's, Western Zoyland, of course. St Mary's, okay. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful church. We're recording a podcast, aren't we? So we, we can't see the ceiling. No. <laughs> but the ceiling is something to behold. There yes. are pictures of it on the internet. I'm sure I put, took pictures of it and put it it's on It's amazing, yes. It's, it's wooden, presumably, isn't it? Yes, yes. And it's not decorated, but I guess at one point it probably would have been. There's a few, there a few bits of... Yeah. Down the sort of centre of it. But yeah, it's just spectacular. It's stunning. It's and round here we've got... And it's an odd place for a museum of a battle, the church, but this is the oh, Battle of Sedgemoor Museum. Wow. It and, is. Visit, and visitor centre. And there's, there's a, there are three men. Well, mannequins, anyway. Mannequins. There's a, man with a, there's a man with a cannon. So I just saw, in fact, on the sign as I came up, that it's the last, last battle on English soil? English soil, yes. I mean, there was Culloden much later yes. in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this was the last one on English soil, yes. And it's, it's really part of local history. I mean, you'll even see crossed swords on the sign for the primary school. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, it, and it, was, it would have been remiss of me not to have featured it in, in a book. Yes. But it was quite a challenge to try and make a battle that took place 337 years ago relevant to a, <laughs> well, a, a modern crime scene. Uh, may, may, may I say, sir, you, you absolutely achieved it. I mean, it's fantastic. Thank you. It's a, a fantastic setting. The moor and uh, you, you can bring in all the sort of spooky atmosphere of, yes. of the battle that night on the open moor with the mist and the fog and make it relevant to a present-day novel yes. simply by having, and it's a cheap trick really, I suppose, is by having a serial killer who's obsessed with a particular character from the battle. Oh, yeah, don't give it away, because I, I can't remember who it is. Because, you know, having, having recorded it two years ago, I can't remember a thing. Yeah, yeah. well, that was, our, that was my pandemic novel. That came out in May 2020 okay. when we were all in full lockdown. Yeah. So that was uh, it's memorable for that. Yes. 
And so now we're going to, where are we going now? Now we're going to walk out actually to the battlefield. So we are, we're in the, I'm pointing at the map now on the wall, we're in the village here somewhere. We're going to have to drive around, park, okay. and then we can walk out along the, on the drove to the actual battlefield memorial where, where it took place. Great. That's, that's the route, and there, oh, there we are. And there we are, look at that. that we don't even need to go now. We, we, can, go just, now. we can just We've watch it, it on the... And there's the memorial. Good. All right. Smashing. Let's go and do it. Okay, so we've now driven to the edge of Sedgemore. Yes? Uh, well, the, well, the edge, edge of, of what was Langmore. So uh, we're Langmore. On, we're, on, okay. we're out on the Somerset levels at a place called Bussex Farm. And uh, that's where the Royal Army was camped for the night in 1685. And we're walking out across to where the actual battle took place. And you were saying that Bussex Farm appears in... Is it in, the, is it in Down Among the Dead? It is in yes, Down yes, Among yes. the Dead, oh, yes. yes, yes, yes and yes. Um, there's a slurry pit where okay. a, a body is unceremoniously found by the police divers who well and truly earn their money. <laughs> and, um, yeah, all, all the places that I feature, unless I'm being... I'm using a business and I'm being nasty about them, are real places, and very often they're real people as well. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, so yes. you use real people? Sometimes, yes. OK. Yes. So... Um, Nick Dixon, is he based on a real person then? He, he is, actually. He, okay. he's, um, I, I remember when I started out, I had all sorts of advice from people about, you know, about how you, your lead protagonist, you've got to make him different. And I, and I looked around and I, there were detectives who were a serial killer on the sly or they were a, the son of a serial killer or, or, or um, an alcoholic or something. So I made Nick a, a, a real um, ordinary sort of guy. I think so. There, he's not riven with these personal battles, but he is based on me. Ah. Actually, oddly enough, okay, it's good. Terribly uninteresting and unexciting. People said pick a celebrity and use him, but I decided <laughs> to use myself. And, and he is—he is me, I suppose. He does what I what I would like to think that I would do, and he says what I like to think I would say. And um, he doesn't look like me, but in every other respect, he's me. I gave him my wife's diabetes. Ah, well, see, I wondered about the diabetes, because yeah. that, that has such a ring of truth about it. Well, Shelley's yeah. the diabetic, you see, so I, don't, I, I have all the research at my fingertips. Ah, OK. Because when I started out, I was um, working full-time as a partner in a law firm. Right. So I was, uh, anything that I didn't need to research, I would use in the book. So I made him diabetic, because I had all that at yeah, my yeah. fingertips. I set the books in and around Burnham-on-Sea and Bridgewater, which I know like the back of my hand. Because that's where you were living at the time. Oh, no, 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 I was uh, living in Exeter. But oh, okay. um, it was where I, I was brought up. I see, so I see, I see. Yeah, I mean, although I've lived in Exeter for 20 years now, it still feels like I'm coming home right. when I come to Somerset. So there's that sort of connection to the... It's, it's interesting you say about Nick Dixon being you, because <laughs> he's also me. I mean, for me, do you know... Of course it, he is. Well, in, you're... in a weird way. I mean, I know that's a very kind of presumptuous thing to say, actually. But... You know, his voice is my voice. It is. And you're narrating the books from his point of view. Yeah. So you, you're, if, if anybody's going to get inside his head, it's going to be you. Yeah, so, and, I'm, and I'm very fond of him. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I really kind of look forward to, to, to recording his, I, his when books. I, when, I, when I actually start writing, when I get to the point where I'm ready to start writing, it's like sit, seeing old friends again. It's lovely. Yes, I'm lovely. sure. I'm sure. Great fun. But there was, he started out, actually, the first half of the first book, which I started almost exactly 10 years ago. He started out called Rufus Wixon. I went to school with a lad in the 80s called Rufus Wixon. And I thought it was such a fabulous name. 
But I, but I got about halfway through the book and I, and I just decided it was a little bit too posh. Yes, I know what you mean. A little bit too posh. Yes. If, if you're out there, Rufus, and you're listening, then I apologise <laughs> unreservedly, old chap. But he's... Well, funnily enough, I mean, I wasn't born here, but my, my mum's family are all from Street. Right. So I used to come down here an awful lot as a child. And in fact, their surname is Rickson. Right. Um, so anyway, there we are. Just you know, not a million miles from from Nick Dixon. But uh, Nick Nick Dixon is actually a real person. There is a rock climber called Nick Dixon. Oh really? My path crossed with his in the late 1980s, I suppose, in Staffordshire, and we never climbed together. Uh, but he's do- he was doing then, and is still doing. I'm pleased to say he's still with us. The sort of rock climbs that I I just couldn't get off the ground on. You know, he's right. hanging on on tiny finger holds, 80 feet up, and if he falls off, he'll hit the ground. I mean, this is cutting edge stuff. <laughs> Wow. And uh, every now and again I check the obituaries on the <laughs> British Mountaineering Council website, but Nick's still with us. He's still Just going strong. Sure. Yeah. But, so the, he's very, very bold. So the, it, it was named after him, really. That's when I okay. switched the name. And um, all the books are pretty much set around this kind of area, are they? Yes, they are. Yeah. He's, he, uh, Nick lives in Brent Knoll, and, um, right. which is yeah. probably just the other side of that hill you can see over there. Okay. And... Um, he based at Bridgewater Police Station. Yep. Um, we're, we're at uh, Western Zoyland now, so we're only a few miles from Bridgewater. And of course, of necessity with the police officer, you'd, I'd take him all over the country. Yeah. If there's a series of murders, I'll try and have one somewhere else just for a bit of a change of scene, you know. So we've been to Manchester and Pembrokeshire and all those sorts of places. Oh, have you? Yes. Well, these, these were in the early books, were they? Yes, that's right. Manchester was uh, book seven, Heads or Tails. Pembrokeshire was book six. And um, where do we go in Death Message? We go Death Message, which is the one you'll be narrating in the new year, I suspect. Oh, we, well, um, that's good to know. We um, go to the Cotswolds in that one. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah, we're just editing that now, so I'm sure, I'm sure you haven't seen it yet. No, 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 nor heard anything about it, because, no, I get to know these things very late. You know? Right. And, and what irritates me is you always manage to find something that, that we've all missed. <laughs> well, I guess, I, to be honest, Damien, it, when it happens in pretty much every book I record, is that there is a typo I'm pleased or to some kind of that, mistake. Yes. Because nobody sits down, you know, people proofread, and I'm sure that's a whole skill, and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm reading it aloud. Yeah. So it's a whole different thing. So when you come across something, you go, oh, well, hold on, that's not right. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing a book at the moment, uh, which is coming out, I think, in a month. And again, I've, you know, I spotted two, two things where they've got the name of one character wrong, and you know, something. It's and, so and, easy to do. Yeah, it's very. Easy. Yeah. Now then, we're walking out towards the battlefield memorial, in down among the dead. Um, you can there are two oak trees that you can see right across the moor, right across the battlefield, and the the serial killer at the end tries to hang himself from one of them. Ah, yes. And they are right in front of us. You can see them right there. Yeah. So this is great. Well, what's that? That's a microlight. Just the other side of Western Zoyland is, is a disused airfield. Um, which I say disused. Uh, it was a Second World War airfield, I think. But they still use it for pleasure stuff. So that's a wow microlight that's come from there, I expect. So, so, so yeah. So, well, so for people who don't know the Somerset levels, I mean, and where we are, I just want to explain it. What, what's what it looks like? Well, it's, it, it, would have, it would have been 300 years ago in open moorland, and so it's all been drained, and it's uh, crisscrossed by really spooky-looking ditches. They're square-cut, yeah. deep, with thick clay mud in the bottom. They're called reens, although it's spelled R-H-Y-N-E. And um, that's drained all the land, so it's pasture land, and you've got hedges and fields and the, the occasional tree. But it is, as you would expect for somewhere called the Levels, 
dead level, <laughs> which was another one of my books, actually. <laughs> well, yeah. But it's all perfectly flat, and it, and it holds the mist and the fog, and it's a hugely atmospheric place to set a crime novel. Yes. Yes, I remember coming here as a, as a boy uh, with my uncle, my uncle Brian, who was very, very into kind of history and battles and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking then, ooh, this is kind of spooky. Yeah. Yes. When I was doing my research for Dan Among the Dead, I came on what I thought was a battlefield tour. It was only when I checked later that it, I realised it started at 11 at night and it was run by a bloke who called his business Haunted Histories. <laughs> so it was actually a ghost, <laughs> ghost tour. So here we are at the memorial. Oh, right. Oh, OK. If you look just behind you, Simon, in this field, you can see slight undulations in the ground. Yes. Now, those are supposed to be what's left of the Bussex Reen, which was an old ditch from 300 years ago. Okay. And the Royal Army was just behind that, lined up, firing towards us. So we're standing almost exactly where the Rebel Army would have been under Monmouth. So we are on the killing ground now. Wow. They were just lined up either side of the Reen, exchanging musket fire. And one of the things that I was just noticing, listening to the audiobook on the way down, is that you said that there are probably a million people today in Somerset who are related to oh, the yes. rebels. Oh, yes, yes, at least, yes. Because they, they were all local Somerset people who came out to fight for Monmouth. And what were they fighting for? It was the old Protestant Catholic thing, I oh, think. OK. Yes, and um, Monmouth was, a, was the illegitimate son of the previous king. Uh-huh. And he wanted, he wanted the throne. I, got, I brought out my, my... It's an old library book I got on eBay for a pound, I think. Oh, great. And it's got a... There's a picture of, there's a picture of Monmouth. I see. That's, that's before he was beheaded. Yes, I see. And a dashing-looking chap with a, a I suppose he must black be painted, curly hair. Because they didn't have cameras back then, so that's a painting. Yeah. And that's Monmouth's body reunited with his head after the execution. Because <laughs> the, the, the battle was a disaster. The rebels all fled that in the direction of a village called Chedzi, to pronounce it correctly. Chedzoi, spelled Chedzi, yes. Chedzoi. That's Chedzoi, you can see straight over there, Chedzi. So the, rebel, the rebels fled in that direction and were caught by the Royal Cavalry and just chopped to pieces, sadly. And it all happened right in front of us. Yeah. So that over there is Puritan Hill. And the other side of that, you're getting up towards... You know, you'll find Street and Glastonbury are over there. Okay. Uh, yeah, Bridgewater's yeah. over there. Burnham on Sea's over there. And it's all completely flat. Completely flat. You can't see behind that hedge over there, St. Mary's Church, Bridgewater, which is where uh, Monmouth famously Monmouth stood, stood. Yes, and surveyed I'm, I'm, the I'm, I'm only going again by your, by, yeah. by your book. It was a fascinating it's thing amazing. to do to try and incorporate I bet it was. a 337-year-old battle into a contemporary crime novel. And, I, you know, I get lots of reviews who say it was fascinating. And then you get the odd one saying, I wanted a crime novel, not a history lesson. But you can't please everybody. You, I gave up trying to do that. You get one saying, I, I did notice that the, uh, <laughs> the author, unfortunately, got this particular uh, historical detail completely wrong. Yes. Yeah. Do you get that? I mean, do people... I, I do get that. Do in, people, my, in my right. first novel, As the Crow Flies, I've got a character... Dri I've got Nick driving um, east from East Huntsville in the evening, and I put him driving into the setting sun. And, of course, the setting sun would have been behind him. I still get emails about <laughs> oh, that. Oh, no. And the other one is from... Oh, Head in, the other cracking one is from Head in the Sand, which was the second novel, and I had a, it begins with a severed head in a greenside bunker behind the 12th on Burnham and Borough Golf Course. And I, I think over the years, I must have had an email from just about every member of Burnham on Barrow Golf Course who's read the book saying, you do know there isn't a greenside bunker behind the 12th. <laughs> yes, I do. 
The nearest oh. bunker is halfway down the 13th, but it's not the same. No. It doesn't have the same visual as a greenside bunker right. with a severed head in it. Absolutely. That's why the book was called Head in the Sand, of course. Very good. Very good. Yeah. But I, I do. People, when you try and be accurate, people will pick you up when you fail. Yeah. And I, and I do get the occasional email. And I just ping back saying, poetic license, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. And so what does the... Well, let's go and have a look. Can yeah. we go and have a look at the actual... Um, have a look at the actual inscription. The inscription of the memorial, yeah. It does remember, I think, from memory, the fallen on both sides, which is nice. As you would expect, actually. Yeah. To the glory of God and in memory of all those who, doing the right as they gave it, fell in the Battle of Sedgemoor, 6th of July, 1685. Lie buried in this field, or who, for their share in the fight, suffered death, punishment or transportation. Yes, because at the very start of... Of the novel, somebody comes back. That's right. Don't they? He was, so he was. He, was he would. Have, he was caught in the churchyard at Morlinch, which is over there, and shipped to the Indies. But he knew who gave away the position of the rebels to the Royal Army, and came back from his. He was transported to the Indies, came back, and killed him. Uh, so that's the prologue. Right. Yes. Of, of down among the dead. Yes. It was great fun to write as a sort of amateur military historian and history buff and uh, it gave me the opportunity to really get inside a battle that I hadn't really, hadn't really been, although I'd lived in Somerset for years, it hadn't really been on my radar. Right. So there's yes. Weston's Oil and Church, you can see through the trees. Oh, yeah. It's a good, good time of year to come because the trees aren't in leaf. And so the Royal Army was all in this ground here, in these fields here. And the, re the old ream was here. And they were just exchanging gunfire either side for about an hour and a half before the rebels had had enough and fled. The way, the way I've written the books, they, they, they follow on from each other. So the first 12 books take place over about a year. So this the book 10, which was Down Among the Dead, was, was July, which was the anniversary of the battle. So it was set up perfectly for the memorial service. There's, do you remember there's a memorial service? Yes at midnight on the night of the battle, at, actually at the memorial where we've just been, and a reenactment going to take place on the village green. And do they still come and do the reenactments? Oh, yes, they do, they yes. Do. Yeah, only on the major anniversaries now, okay. I think. Only on the major ones. Have you ever been tempted to... Uh, no, I'd probably get... Don a breastplate or something? I'd probably get a bit too carried away, I suspect. <laughs> End up shooting somebody for real. None of those houses would have been there, of course. No. But the farm was. I think Bussock's farm was. Really? Wow. Yeah. And they'd, Chedzi, the Chedzi cornfield is right over the other side there, backing onto Chedzi. Uh, this part was just barren moorland. But they'd started clearing it over that side and planting it and um, growing corn and stuff. This leads back out to the main road. These are what's called droves. It looks like a farm, farm tractor, you or me, mm. but it's called a drove. And if you, if you can compare it to the level of the ground arises around us, they're all raised up. And it meant people could get their sheep and livestock out to market, even when the land was all flooded. Which I guess it would do quite regularly. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, the last time was 2014. There were major floods on the Somerset levels then. Right. And... Um, uh, they're, they're featured in Dead Level, which was my fifth novel. They just happened as I sat down to write the book. So I thought I had to feature that. So I had Nick Dixon racing around in motorboats and things. <laughs> Crime scenes flooded. 
Oh, fantastic. Uh, that was great fun. That was great fun. But back then, of course, the, 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 the levels used to flood every year. The full name of Muchelney, which is a village a few miles in that direction, is actually the Isle of Muchelney. Muchelney. Really? <laughs> for for most, a wow. lot of the winter months, it would be an island, as it was again in 2014. So... It seems, from what you say, that you enjoy the process of writing, do you? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it, it seems to get more difficult each book I sit down to write. Mainly, because, I suspect, because people's expectation gets a little bit okay. higher each time. Okay. And um, the research takes about three months. That's always fascinating, because I'm always learning about new things that I hadn't uh, experienced before. Um, the, the writing process takes three months, and then the editing there's another three months, uh, and then back round we go again. Right. Wow. Okay. But it's it's wonderful. I mean, I, I was a solicitor for 25 years, but after the first year or two, let me say the novelty wore off. Yes. yes. I pretty much hated that, and um, I, I sat down one one evening in October 2012. I thought, what am I going to do on the long dark nights? I know I'll write write a novel. It was, a, it was just a hobby, and it just it just took off. I still, for the life of me, don't understand why, but I. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Well, I can tell you why. I mean, because not only... I mean, obviously, they are crime novels. Uh, and, you know, Dixon and Jane and, and, and the kind of the other life of, of, of the crime novel that's going on, I think, is so engaging. And you write about it so well. And the woman who's um, the mother of one of the... The boys, Rory, who, whose body they find. Yes, yes. You know, and and uh, Lewis interviews her and uh, you know breaks the news of her son's that they found her son's body. And it's 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 beautifully written and with with real kind of heart and understanding of you know of grief and the human condition and everything. I think it's. Thank I'm, you. I'm, well, I'm sure that's partly why. You know, I, I just you know I, I've never had any formal training or. Anything like that. I just sat down and, and write it, and I, I don't know where it comes from some of the time. <laughs> it just happens. I think one thing leads to the next, so you, you follow that sort of flow. Yeah. And do you always, I guess, always start with a crime? Yes. Yes, I guess yes. you have to. You have to, you have to start with a crime. Um, and and what, what's becoming more difficult, of course, as I get deeper into the series, is finding a different way of doing the, what is effectively the same old thing again. I mean, I, I really can't have another dog walker finding a body, so you've got to find a, a different way of having the body found to start the ball rolling, if you like. So right. in Death Message, which is we'll be doing in the new year, it's magnet fishing. So I had to learn all about magnet fishing, which is great fun. So out on the Somerset levels in these reens and ditches and rivers, you get people who don't, they're not fishing for fish. They're fishing for scrap metal. So they've got a hugely powerful magnet on the end of a rope. They chuck it in the river, drag it back, and take whatever metal stuck to this magnet. And they found grenades and knives and guns. And at the start of death messages, they find a tin box. And inside the tin box is a dismembered body. <laughs> wow. But it was, a, it was just a novel and different way of having a body found yeah, to absolutely. start the ball rolling. Absolutely. But it becomes more difficult to find those over time. Yes. And how did you, how did you discover magnet fishing? YouTube. <laughs> YouTube is my friend. Okay. I, I don't know what authors used to do before there was YouTube and Google and all yeah, that sort of yeah, malarkey. Yeah. I just don't know how they 
I mean, you know, some of them had teams of researchers, of course, they did researching different aspects, but it must have made life very, very difficult. And we've got Google Earth now and Street yes. View. Yes. Street View. I remember when I was a this is this is absolutely true. This I remember when I was a solicitor, I was instructed to deal with the administration of the estate of an elderly lady who died, and she lived in Glasgow. And for some reason, I was administering this estate, even though I was in Torquay. So I looked on Street View at the address of this street in Glasgow, and there she was coming out the front door. Wow! It was a it was it was very very. Moving, actually, I think. Yes. So I featured that in a book, and we've got a scene where Nick goes to look at a house, and the deceased person is on Google Earth, and the street view rather, and the deceased person's coming out of the door. Fantastic. Nothing, nothing is wasted. No, no. personal experience no, no. is well, wasted. Well, that's it, I guess. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, do you have any friends? <laughs> I've killed them all off at one point or other. Yes, I, I, they, they've all been in books at one point or other. Local postman in Burnham on Sea, Tim, and um, they've all they've all been there, whether they know it or not. Yeah, I think I think I remember the first book you mentioned that the vet, the local vet, was in the book. Oh yes, the, the yes, female vet. Yes, Tabby. She was. She is. She's moved now. Changed okay. veterinary practice, but she was our vet at the time, and she's Nick's vet. Yeah. And sorts Monty out when he's poisoned. Poor fellow. Well, I get emails about that. Oh, don't well, you? Yes, I mean, I love the fact that Nick's got a dog. Yeah, don't it's you harm a hair on that dog's head? No. I had a little Westie at the time called Winnie, and I didn't think she was quite macho enough for a police officer, so Winnie morphed into a large white Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Fantastic. Well, we've arrived back at the car. Yeah. Because well, one of us is out of breath. It'll be the overweight one from Surrey who sits in a little booth all day and reads books aloud and doesn't walk much. Uh, anyway. So, we've just arrived back at the Sedgemoor Inn, and we're just about to go inside and have a pint of their finest ale. Oh, yes, we wanted dogs. So we've got dogs. Hello, hello, hello. What would you like? Tribute, I think. Yes, James. Two pounds of tribute, please. Do you listen to to books generally? Would you? Just I, I do. It's particularly in the car, actually. If we're going on a holiday in Scotland or the Lake District, we'll have an audio book. And um, the last one, actually, was a, uh, I think it was a Ruth Rendell, and it was the one with the ringing bells. But the book was read by Ian Carmichael. Do you remember Ian Carmichael? So it was yes, done a long time ago. Yes, yes, yes. And it was 10 hours of his, his lovely, beautifully, oh. quintessentially clipped English tones. Wonderful. It drove us round the bend. <laughs> <laughs> I can say it now, he's, now he's passed away, but it drove us round the bend. It, it, it's, well, I love his films. I love the Ian mm. Carmichael films, but the nine hours of that voice. Yes, okay. Well, I can see that. It drove us round the bend. It's curious, isn't it? Because it's a sort of... It's a very personal thing, listening to an audiobook, I think. Yeah, it is. Because, because it's somebody's voice. And it's, mm. as you say, you, you can be listening to this person for 10, you know, 15 hours. Yeah. And if, yeah. if there's something about that voice that somehow, well, it can end up grating on you, can't yeah. it? Yeah. My father used to listen to a lot of audiobooks. I, I bought him a Kindle so he could increase the size of the font. It was the old macular degeneration. Mm. Bought him a Kindle so he could increase the size of the font, but even that became too much in the end. So, And my brother bought him a CD player and I provided him with a load of discs and away he went listening to those. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Gammon, I'm going to have a gammon steak. I'll have a, I'll have a gammon oh, steak. Good, good. That, was, that was swift. Yeah. Yeah, I do mm. like a gammon steak. I think I'll have a club sandwich. Are you sure? Yeah. Or maybe I'll have ham, egg and chips. This, this is a kind of ham, egg and chips kind of pub. It is, isn't it? They'll, they'll yeah. do it. A superb ham, egg and chips, I think. Yeah. Ham, egg and chips and a gammon steak. I'll just go and order them. All right, thank you. And then we'll... Uh, Lovely. We were just saying in the car uh, about the carnival. Yes. Well, I was absolutely determined that it had the name, had the word carnival at the title. <laughs> of course. And it's called Carnival Blues. Thank you. Okay, yes. Carnival Blues, which is a terrific book. Um, and that was that was your, that was the last one for me. Yeah, it was number twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was the last one for me as well, apart okay. from the one that I've just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's coming to you. Mm. Okay. Great. I look forward to that. I, yeah, do. I, I mean, put it in block capitals on the question. Oh, well, thank you. That's really no. That's that's lovely. That's lovely because I I would. Yeah, it's funny because well, as we were saying when we were on the walk, you know, and I slightly facetiously said that he's also me, but but you get very attached yeah. to these characters because you know I'm sitting there in, a, in my little tiny booth, immersed in that world for you know four or five days at a time. I mean, no, it's not three months. So you've got all that set up at home of the writing. Yes, yeah. yeah so I have a, I have a um, one of those pre-built cabins in my garden, right? Uh, yeah. and, a, and a bigger space inside, which is my sort of studio. But then a tiny little voice booth, which is tiny. You know, it really is small. Yeah. And I sit in there for for hours at a time. You know. Gosh, must drive you around the bend if you don't like the book. Yes. <laughs> yes, it can do. Yes, somebody's Boris Johnson's memoirs. <laughs> I, I should imagine he would read his own. I think he, I think he might. I'm not sure <laughs> Boris would let anybody. I mean, possibly Ken Branagh. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes they are a real struggle. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Anyway, I'm delighted to learn that mine aren't. Not <laughs> at all. No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I like I, to try and make sure that they gallop along. They do gallop along. And it was always important for me. And mm. I didn't want pages and pages of padding and pages and pages of introspection on the part of the detective. I like that to gallop along. I was doing, a, doing an event, must have been 2015, so I'd written five at that point. So mm. two, early 2016, I was doing an event for Puritan WI. It was their spring meeting, so was, the room was full of hundreds of members of the WI. And um, somebody put their hand up at the back and said, it's the romance that we like, that's our favourite bit. And I remember thinking... What I mean, a deadpan face, of course. But I remember thinking, what what romance? <laughs> what are they talking about? I'm not a romance novelist. And then it suddenly twigged Nick and Jane. Mm. So I've had to pay much more attention mm. to that set ever since. Mm. And that's caused the, 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 the relationship to grow to the point where she's now pregnant. And uh, Yes. And they're going to be getting married? On Christmas Eve. Oh, they are? Yes. That wasn't in the last one, though, was it? Or was it? Do you know? I'm, I'm so you sorry. Know, I, I can't you know, honestly I'm, remember whether they okay, said because the I'm embarrassed if, if, if they yeah, did set a date and I can't remember. I, I can't remember. And I, I okay, thank it. God. You just read it. I wrote it. <laughs> I can't honestly remember whether they set the date at the, in Carnival Blues. I think they may have done. All right. Christmas Eve. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. You think You're they absolutely may have done right. I'm sorry. In Carnival they did. Blues. Yes, they and did. And of course, each book follows on <laughs> month from month. So 
um, Carnival Blues was carnival time, beginning of November. Mm. So the next one, Death Message, is mid-December. So the wedding date is now days away. Mm. It's a terrific relationship, I think. And I, and I also I love the fact that she is that she is the uh, chief she, chief of diabetes. Chief of diabetes. Yes. Yeah. Because and it's great, and I, and I like that, and the fact that he's always trying to slightly subvert it, and he wants a Kit Kat, or he wants another pint yeah, of beer, yeah. or he wants something. Well, that's what it's just what it's it's exactly what it's like in mm. the house. Mm. Hello. So we just so Damien's being molested very slightly, very nicely by the nicely by a dog, large dog. <laughs> Um, so yes, Carnival Blues, you were just saying, so features this thing called squibbing. Squibbing. Totally unique. You won't see it anywhere else in the world. And explain to me, if you will, sir, what squibbing is. Well, you've got, it's a firework display, so it dates, but it's the Guy Fawkes Carnival, so it's a fireworks display. And um, there's 200 people lining Bridgewater High Street, all of them holding above their heads on poles giant fireworks, which burn for about a minute by which time the entire high street is just a sea of smoke and cordite and fumes and everything. And then you've got to find your way back through the crowd to where you, where you came from. But it's fabulously good fun. It was an immense privilege to be asked to take part in it. Yeah, so you were, you were the guest of honour? I, I was. This I was, I'm pleased to say. Just gone, it was a month ago. A month oh, okay. ago. Okay. And because um, Carnival Blues features squibbing, Yes, and the, in the, a big way. And in a big way, the start of the book, somebody's squib explodes, showers them with accelerant, and they burn to death, not quite to death, in the, on Bridgewater High Street in front of all these crowds. Mm. So there I am, doing squibbing, <laughs> having a, <laughs> a little, I must confess, I will admit to being a little bit nervous. I bet you were. I was a little bit nervous, because when I when I went to check in, what's your name, Damien Boy? This is your squib, mate. We rigged it specially for you. <laughs> Oh, great. oh, brilliant! Thank great. you. Yeah. Ha-ha. Thank you. <laughs> Tee-hee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they didn't tell me about wearing a coat with a hood, and so all the sparks went burning titanium flakes go down the back of your neck. But I didn't drop my I didn't drop my squib or embarrass myself in any way. And it was fa- you know it was fabulous actually. It was a real experience. It's one of those things where if they applied for permission to do it now, they'd never get it. There's no way they'd get permission for it. No, like that, no, like the course. tar barrels in Ottery St Mary. Have you heard of that? They, they, no. they put Hessian sacks on their shoulders. They have barrels of tar, which are then lit, and they run down the high street of Ottery St Mary with these wow. lit tar barrels on their backs. I mean, if you wanted to start that tradition now, you just wouldn't be able to, would you? But because <laughs> it's been... Yeah, because yeah, it's been... we got going this back. idea, right? We're going to get some barrels, <laughs> yes, and, and we're going to fill them with tar, yes, and then we're going to set light to them. Yes, and then we're going to carry them on yeah. our backs through the village. And people have been really badly hurt doing I that. They have. People have stumbled, dropped the barrel, it's rolled into the crowd. But, you know, because it's been going for hundreds of years, they, they can't stop it. A squib is a thing, though, outside of these kinds it's, of A squib is, is it's a firework. Okay. That's where, and that's where the phrase well, damn the squib, phrase damn squib comes out. I, I'm think. pleased to say that I haven't yet. I was expecting one, but um, I haven't yet had a review which says this book is a bit of a damn squib, one star. I'm giving somebody ideas now, but I haven't yet had that review. Do you know, I had an email the other day from my editor at Amazon, Carnival Blues, the Amazon UK store, Editor's Picks, 2022, Best Books of the Year, Carnival Blues. Fantastic. I couldn't believe it. I just could not believe it. I was just stunned, absolutely stunned. And I I looked, I was looking down the list, there are 60 books. 
in different categories. And you've got Ian Rankin, Peter James, Bob Mortimer, Damien Boyd. I couldn't, Damien Boyd. I couldn't get the hat on. Pick of the year. Yeah. You're quite right. I was just stunned. Stunned. Great. That's a great book. Mm. And the series has, in the last few weeks, crossed the three million mark as well. Yes, I read on your on your um, mm. website yesterday. I guess I was looking, which is which is amazing, which is fantastic, bonkers. When I started out, it was a hobby to fill in the long dark nights, and I thought I might sell a few, and I might get make it pay pay for a holiday or something. And here I am, ten years later, and I've sold three million. Living in the living in the Bahamas, <laughs> and just swanning over here occasionally. Do you know, I'm living in the same house. I'm still living, still driving the same Mazda MX-5. I have because I just can't bring myself to get rid of it. I love it so much. Nice cars. Yeah, it's great fun. Great fun. Got a bit of rust, apparently. Oh, got a bit of rust. You or the car? Both. Both. Yeah. 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 But do you know, I remember. I remember when I started out ten years ago. The nights were drawing in. And I had I got my laptop out, and I, I, remember, I remember thinking it was I discovered Kindle because I didn't have a Kindle, okay. and I discovered self-publishing on the Kindle because I started out self-publishing. I'm always delighted, happy to admit that I started out self-publishing, self-published the first three, and then Amazon Publishing UK stepped in and okay. republished them and took four, and then since then we've been away we've gone. But I started out self-publishing, and I discovered the Kindle, and it was around about the time. Fifty Shades of Grey was taking off, right? And it was taking off big time. All the girls in the office were reading Fifty Shades of Grey on a Kindle, so that we couldn't see the book cover and we didn't know what they were reading. <laughs> there was a little bead of sweat on the temple, which just gave it away. And I remember looking into this, and I remember saying to my wife, "I'm going to write an erotic novel. There's a lot of money to be made. I'm going to write an erotic novel." And I remember she said, she looked up and she said, "You're bad enough at doing it. Writing about it is definitely out." <laughs> and. Um, we're still together, and then I then I thought about I'm going to write crime because I was at solicitor. I used to work for the Crown Prosecution mm -hmm. Service to write a crime novel. I was reading a Linda Laplante at the time, and I remember thinking I'm going to have a go. I'm going to have a go at this, and that's how it started. That's how it started ten years ago. Terrific. Mm. And is there an end in sight? Well, people keep asking me that. The, the end will come, I suspect, when my publishers had enough of me. You can always carry on self-publishing, can't you? Okay. And then the series will just fizzle out. But I suspect when my publisher says, this is the last deal, this is the last two-book deal, okay. then I will make the last book of that last deal, okay. the last in the series. And, um, well, I guess as long as they still continue to sell well, and apparently they are doing. You know? Oh, yeah. So, you know. I'm hoping we'll get to, I mean, what's Peter James on now with Roy Grace 23, something like that? There's one more on this, and then there should be another two books. So there's at least another three. And who knows beyond that? Mm. Mm. You were talking about your wife earlier. Um, is she? I mean, does she read your novels mm. at, a, at an early stage, or or oh. only when they're done? I feel sorry for her in a way because she gets the brunt of it. Aside from being married to you, aside from all of that, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every day I print off what I've done. Oh, so you do? Okay. Oh yeah, I bring it downstairs. Read that. <laughs> Grab the, grab the television gizmo, pause whatever she's watching. Read that. Which she does dutifully with a smile. And always tells me it's wonderful. I say that. She's actually my fiercest critic. So if, if mm. it's rubbish, she'll tell me. But she does uh, every day. <laughs> every day. Wow, okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. 
And if she's been out while I've been writing, then the first thing she has to do is sit down and read what I've written that day. She's always wanted to, and she's wanted to be as helpful as she possibly can. And I've impressed upon her that the way she can be as helpful as she possibly can, she can read it, read it on a daily basis. Right, OK. And so she does it dutifully and always tells me it's all right. Good. Touch wood. There have been occasions when she said that doesn't work, I don't like that. Okay, no, which is also good. You which also want that. You fabulous. want just to go, that's yeah. lovely, dear. It's lovely, dear. Do you mind if I just go back to, you know, Holmes Under the Hammer? <laughs> Sorry, I do apologise. I'm sure she never watches Holmes Under the Hammer. No, you know. no, quite. Whatever. No. Yeah, so <clears throat> Damien was just saying that he, he imagines I live <laughs> in the Orkneys <laughs> and I record in a small Scottish croft, but sadly that isn't true. And how many times will you read through the novel before you start to narrate it? Generally just once. And you get it as a Word document, presumably? Uh, yes, PDF. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I never get the physical novel, no, which is a shame. It is a shame. So in fact, yes, yeah, so you very kindly, uh, Damien just very kindly gave me a copy of uh, Down on the Dead, which is lovely. It's a real mm. physical copy of a book, <laughs> which I've read. It's fantastic, yeah. And, and how long will, will do you do a, a, a whole scene at a time or a whole chapter or do you oh yes so I'll try and do well four four or five hours a day I suppose mm. uh, and and within that time roughly around 20 pages an hour mm. you know because it's normally two two minutes a page they reckon in terms of actual recorded dial you know recorded yeah. um, time but obviously you make mistakes within that and that the other in bloody blah, so it can take a bit longer. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Have you ever thought of recording your own novel? I think if I drop back at some point to self-publishing, I would probably do audiobooks still because they, they are superb for a lot of people. Mm. But I, there's, there's no way on God's earth I would read them myself. Okay. When I listened back to my recorded voice, I was <laughs> thinking, actually, I drone on in a sort of monotone. No, no not at all. You don't. <laughs> Let me tell you that. I can tell it's you It's a really now. difficult thing to do well, and you and you do it really, really well. And I and I, it terrifies me the thought of even trying to do it. Good, because <laughs> that means I get to do it. Mm. Um, well, but it's like anything, you know. I'm very inarticulate. I've discovered doing these, so I kind of, you know, lots of ums and ahs. I'm kind of, you know, kind of, uh, whereas give me something to read. Obviously, I'm fine. Mm. But speaking generally in life, whereas you're very articulate, I've noticed. Mm. Um, Comes from being a lawyer, I suppose. In the early part of my career, I was in and out of court. Okay. So you get used to talking in front of other people. Mm. And now, of course, I'm talking about my favourite subject, so it just comes <laughs> easy. Can't shut me up. That's great, it's great. So we finished our uh, gammon and chips, and ham, egg and chips in my case. And... Uh, I'm going to walk out the door to set more in. Thank you. Damien, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming. Wonderful. No, no it's, been, it's been lovely. It's what a lovely day for you. What a lovely day for you. It's my first sort of outside broadcast. Yeah, yeah it was lovely. Yeah, it was good. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Jane, I'm just going to have one pint and then I'll come home, all right? All right. But if I don't keep an eye on those insulin levels, who will? Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. Okay, look, I I'll see you later. Kiss Monty for me. Um, yeah, okay. All right. Bye. Bye.
Evening, Barry. Evening, Nick. All right. Yeah, yeah. Good, thanks. Um, I'll have a pint of the usual, please. Right out. Pretty dead in here tonight, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, quite literally dead. See the bloke in the corner over there? Um, yeah. Well, he's he's dead. What do you mean, he's dead? Well, I assume so. He's just been sitting there for the last three hours. I haven't moved or nothing. I went over, you know, shook him a little and nothing. Well, might he have passed out or... No, I don't think so. I put my hand on his heart, you know, and that, but I couldn't feel nothing. Well, why haven't you called anybody? I mean, the, the police. Wow, you know, I didn't want to bother anyone. I knew you'd be in here later, so I just thought I'd wait for you. Right, but, um, how did he get here? Well, I have no idea. He was here when I opened up. Really? Well, is there any sign of foul play? I mean, is there a wound or anything? No, no, no. I mean, apart from that knife sticking out of his neck. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I can see that now. Look, this is... Really serious, Barry. I need to call it in. Finish up your point first. There's no rush. He's not going anywhere, is he? Well, no, good point. To be honest with you, I'm getting pretty fed up with finding dead bodies all over the place. Yeah, I know. There was one out by the bins earlier. What? It's ridiculous around here. You can't walk down the street without falling over a dead body. We was out on Langmore three or four days ago, me and the wife... There were three or four of them there, just lying in one of the reins there. But didn't you report it? No, didn't see much point, really. You know, if they're dead, ain't nothing going to bring them back, is there? Well, no, but but that's not the point. I mean, you have to find out things like how did they die and was it foul play? Did somebody kill them? I mean, you know, I'm a detective inspector. I mean, this is this is my life, Barry. Yeah, I suppose. Sorry, Nick, I never really thought of it like that. Want a bag of nuts with your beer, do you, Nick? Uh, yeah. Yeah, go on. Um, you haven't got a Kit Kat, have you? We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more in the series, please visit our website, www.talkingbooks.org.uk.